This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Anuja Vaidya, Senior Editor and Special Events Lead at mHealth Intelligence. Shifting to a patient-centered system of care will require a big investment in digital services, especially as patient priorities shift. With virtual care in high demand and a greater focus on equity than ever before, health systems must pivot their strategic goals to match patient needs. Health system leaders have already started making plans to do so, according to the 2022 Health Systems Climate Study published by the University of Colorado Denver's Health Administration Research Consortium. Dr. Jibin Kuntia, director of the consortium, joins us today to discuss the study and what it tells us about health system CEOs' plans to grow their business as they move to a more patient-centric model of care. Jibban, thank you for coming on to Healthcare Strategies today. Thank you. Awesome. So to begin, could you give us a brief overview of the University of Colorado Denver's Health Administration Research Consortium, as well as the Health Systems Climate Study? The Health Administration Research Consortium consists of 20 faculty who do research and thought leadership in the business of healthcare area relevant to health systems, health and diversity, digital and intelligent health leadership areas. We started somewhere back in 2020 when COVID was heating up, and we started discussing with health system leaders at that point of time, because partly we were panicking and we wanted to know what was happening in the field. During COVID and beyond through our discussions, we found that healthcare systems need to start thinking about the initiatives that should support them and sustain them. And that involves in current scenario reducing costs, having a good financial outcome. Also, along with that, as we say, moving towards patient-centered care, using and embracing digital healthcare. So we realized that health systems do face challenges. Although during COVID, many of those things became widely discussed and came out quite strongly. Mm -hmm. But not only that, there are several other, I would say, pandemic and non-pandemic challenges that health systems face. And many actually are not aware of that. Many don't talk about it. And they criticize the health systems when the services or the gaps are there. We felt that somebody should document that. Somebody should collect these challenges and opportunities and research about that and inform not only public in general, researchers, but also other health systems who have been, let's say, lagging in some of those things. So these short and long-term needs and the gaps in current efforts to improve health systems need to be nationwide discussed. And there should be efforts to resolve some of these persistence issues with a synergetic high level of planning industry policy inputs so that what we call that transformative power of, we are more interested in digital, but, in, but broadly the research and insights into transformation of health systems should be the objective. And that's what we do at Health Administration Research Consortium. Mm -hmm. We are the faculty who research and inform about some action-oriented insights for health systems mm -hmm. so that they can move in this path of transmission, being well-equipped with what we provide as insights. 
Absolutely. So could you give us a little bit of background about the 2022 study that you did? Why did you decide to undertake this study and how many health system leaders did you speak with? Just any background information would be fantastic. So as I mentioned, we started when COVID was on in 2020. We documented some things in 2020 through our small research briefs that is available on our Health Administration Research Consortium website, business.ucdenver.edu slash HARC. Then in 2021, we decided that's not enough. We need to capture all these things into one big report. Mm -hmm. And if we do it in the beginning of the year, January, February, March, around that time, then the rest of the year, the health system which are lagging may probably reorient their strategies to some extent to achieve some of the gaps they should be doing. So in 2021, we started, we have done two reports in 21 and 22. 22 obviously is the recent one. We reach out to 650-odd health system CEOs. Obviously, getting their time to respond, this is not easy. Around 20-25% health system CEOs respond to our survey through different channels. I must mention here that Guidehouse Consulting is a partner in this process. Mm -hmm. So their contacts, we leverage on their contacts, and actually they do help us collecting the data. So around 130-plus health systems data we use. These 130 systems oddly to $60 to $70 billion represent that much of thing and around 1.1, 1.2 billion employees. So we have many big health systems. So these things that comes from horse's mouth of the CEOs involved with these health systems. Absolutely. So could you walk us through some of the top line findings of the 2022 study? Yes. Much of this is elaborated in the report. Uh, I would urge all of you to read that. But three things that I have to say, consumer empowerment is the key. Mm -hmm. And health systems have realized that and they're moving towards using digital health in the post-pandemic time. That's a great news. Integration to provide value-added care around health rather than illness has also emerged quite significantly in the last couple of years. Interesting thing that we found in 21-22 is health systems are also moving to serve diverse consumer needs with a diverse and upskilled workforce. That's actually a challenge. When I'm saying all these three things, the three things looks to be good steps taken by some health systems, not necessarily all. So questions and concerns arise whether all the health systems across the United States are ready. Mm-hmm. Are all of them in equal footing to move in this consumer empowerment, integration, and diversity aspects significantly? Will some of them miss the boat and face the disruptive closures in this move? Mm-hmm. And we see some of that is happening when we are seeing competition high. A lot of mergers and acquisitions are arising. Mm-hmm. Last year, we see a lot of mergers and acquisitions, which says that some health systems are struggling. Mm -hmm. Even though they are not struggling, do they have system-wide readiness and, let me throw in this word, agility to accommodate some or any of these? Uh, Mm -hmm. So crisis will come and go. But if health systems are agile and prepared to face this disruption, then they could leverage much of these movements. They would have consumer empowerment in mind. They would have digital transformation in mind, and they can leverage from these things developments to sustain through the crisis. The sooner health systems realize that is not just treating patients or having a hospital and managing that is key, but also keeping some of these things and be a little bit of forthcoming. We use the word reckoning 
realization, the better they can be in the process. Absolutely. That agility is becoming more important than ever before through this public health crisis. So, you know, a couple of the statistics from the study really stood out to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what may be driving these trends. So, you know, first of all, telehealth, virtual care appear to be a top growth priority for all health system CEOs with nearly 72% of executives viewing it as such, followed closely by mental and behavioral health. I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of these growth priorities and how they're linked. Yes, we found 71% CEO say that mental and behavioral health is important. That's the second priority behind tele and remote health. That is, that is good news that the realization that health extends beyond the well-criticized sick healthcare is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Let me also point out that one thing that we didn't capture and I wish we can capture is this drive-in care. And I think many of these health systems and patients are realizing there is a role for drive-in care. You know, we got these vaccines through drive-in. The challenges around this virtual and mental health care services remains as service parity and payment parity. For both these cases, we still don't know which of these telehealth and virtual care need to be accommodated. What are all types of modalities? Does it mean that one episode of telehealth for a mental patient or a behavioral patient or somebody who is feeling the crisis because of the situation around us, is that enough or anything else should be done? Is there a role for home monitoring devices and hour the clock, 24 cross seven monitoring? So many of these things are still emerging. So service parity and payment parity of both these telehealth and mental services across all insurers is needed. That will help to increase the access for patients, incentivize providers to offer those services. Also, although it also involves an increase in spending, who is going to pay for that gap? So gap in technology access and use is a concern. And also that's a concern. Let me touch upon here the diversity part. Some groups of patients don't have any idea about that. They may be using cell phone, but Calling a nurse at the time of need probably is not a widely accepted, widely approved or acknowledged practice. Even for me, I'd say recently my doctor had a, she's 10 years old. She followed a little bit of food poisoning and was, was throwing up. It took us almost an hour or two deciding what we need to be doing. It didn't call. There is a app-based nurse call available with my provider and immediately we should call. So somewhere that thinking process is not there. But when we think about food, we immediately go for Uber delivery immediately. So that mindset has also not changed. So it remains unclear in the United States landscape today, in the consumer landscape, in the consumer empowerment, whether this expanded use of telemedicine is going to be sustained mm-hmm. after what we call as the state of emergency through which we are going, the pandemic. And to what extent low-income patients and and, and, and patients with limited experience will have access, acceptance, mindset to adopt the technology to be able to access these services. I think ours is one small step in that direction. Mm-hmm. A lot of steps need to be taken to make consumers aware of and make use of these things. Uh, we don't want even a single patient 
And let me say is even to feel bad, forget about suicidal tendencies or bad, just feeling bad is a concern. And I need somebody to talk to, talk to in our individualistic society in, in US that we are following. And if we can provide that, that will be a great thing. So there is a role of technology. There is a role of artificial intelligence. There is a role of identifying these symptoms through mm -hmm. observation of daily living and so on and so forth. So that expanded use of all these things would remain the opportunity as well as challenge in the next number of years. Absolutely. The rise that we've seen doesn't necessarily mean we're going to stay at those high levels unless some of these other pieces really fall into place. Demanding health on call and some of these things still remains a dream, I would say. Definitely. But, you know, it's interesting because we kind of see that those gaps on the patient side of things, but providers are certainly, you know, putting all their eggs in the virtual care basket, so to speak. Another interesting thing from the study was that digital technology adoption and use are also very high on list of health system leaders' priorities in the year ahead. So what are the primary ways in which they plan on using these technologies based on what you heard from these leaders? Let me take a segue here and, and thank my co-authors. We wrote a paper in 2022 that got published in Journal of Medical Internet Research around digital orientation. So three things that we are talking about, customer-oriented digital technologies, analysis-oriented digital technologies, and very futuristic or growth kind of oriented. So health systems vary across these three dimensions of digital technologies. So the priority is very high, as we are seeing, when we talk about customer orientation. Many of them are moving, having online portals, or some of them having app-based mechanisms to obviously doctor on call and those kind of things are happening. The analytics part of technologies remains very wide gap around health systems. Some of them which are good in population health approaches, they have some of those health analytics over there, but that gets applied with a lag in the sense, not necessarily in a real time way. So health systems need to think how to move analytics, population health approaches to correct. Uh, current surveillance, mounting surveillance kind of systems, which indeed is a need in the public health approach. So it took a while for us to catch COVID, COVID virus, uh, and that's not good. We don't know how many of similar things are happening and slowly eating up the public health system in a significant way. As a developed nation, we should also be developed in healthcare approaches to track many of this. And all these things can happen when we mount a nationwide, real-time healthcare surveillance approach. And trust me, that is that is doable. It's something which is already there. We just need to mount an approach and bring all the health systems and public and private partners into the context to have the dialogue and implement it. So these are some of the challenges remain in the digital technology readiness and the proactive view, futuristic view that where we should be moving in these approaches still remains a concern. So building this customer or innovation oriented capacity, building service delivery capabilities, improving efficiency, effectiveness, workflow and processes across health systems remains the gap, but I can't blame completely all the health systems on this. Who should lead? Who should be giving them the insights that what they should be doing? We leave some of these things to the organic development across health system. Let the industry lead it and do it. That has been a problem in the health system because the way our health systems has been designed with institutionalized approaches, 
So we ignore customer centricity. We ignore population-wide health approaches. We don't look at the upstream of the river when we talk about health systems and healthcare per se. So somewhere there, there is a role of government to guide the health systems into the next generation. Somewhere we have talked it a couple of times, what is that blueprint for the next five to 10 years that United States as a holistic development should focus when it comes to healthcare. So we have been reactive rather than proactive. Now, if we believe in the power of digital transformation to change the healthcare landscape significantly, and that's the truth in today's world, then we should be providing a five to 10 year blueprint for all the health systems. This remains our vision. This remains our approach. In the, in the 2050, we, we want to see health systems doing this. That is missing. A visionary approach, a leadership across the global healthcare landscape that the United States should be providing because of the most developed nation, that is missing. Absolutely. There needs to be a more sort of centralized leadership approach to really pushing healthcare into the next evolution that we've kind of been on the cusp of for a while now. You know, and then another interesting move that a lot of health systems are making is in diversity. So your study showed that training managers for diversity and attracting diverse talent also appear to be high priorities for health system leaders in the coming year. So what do you think is driving this trend and what can health system leaders do to really sort of make sure their workforces are as diverse as the communities they serve? Let me step back here. Diversity issues is not new and probably we have ignored it for a substantial amount of time. And that's not a good news. Again, based on the 2021 data, we did publish another JMR, Journal of Medical Internet Research article talking about the diversity and talent challenges. We emphasized in that paper that external collaborative strategy to recruit and upskill has the potential to foster diversity and inclusion. So D&I diversity and inclusion strategy to keep the workforce, it should have been done a decade earlier because, because our United States focuses on immigrants and as immigrants are emerging, the diversity is a key issue. There are things that gets ignored and, and let me tell a personal experience out of which whenever I go to any doctor, you, keep, you may quote or don't quote, whenever I go to any doctor, they immediately start saying that, oh, you are an Indian and you must be eating Indian food. So ACDT or JOD is a, even if I have shoulder pain, it starts with, it may be because of acidity, because of Indian food, partly because many Americans perhaps see Indian food, which causes acidity, but most of the Indians are brown and bought up with the Indian food, and that goes well with their body. Uh, this is just an example, and we, we may start looking at how health systems do not know the issues, the practices with even our, with our indigenous population, with Hispanic population, with, with Indian and others who are coming from abroad. So until unless our workforce are diverse and the practices over there start accommodating inclusiveness and, and diversity significantly, this issue is not going to be resolved. Mm -hmm. So then we'll be throwing in medicines and treatments that let's say my body is not equipped to handle. Of course, genetic and personalized medicine is there and that's happening in some scale and that might resolve some part of it. But beyond that, diversity and inclusion should be a key when we talk about health systems. We don't talk about that in the report significantly, although we give the 
statistics how these health systems leaders are moving to take control of some of these diversity issues uh, and what are the how they are thinking and so on and so forth uh, but the bottom line remains is what they can do in terms of equipping them so mm-hmm. is there any particular path uh, to improve the workforce so in our paper which again we are going to write another paper comparing these two years of the data but insight remains that to improve the current workforce of skills and retentions and collaboration with universities is a key and this comes to educational part quite significantly are we educating are we preparing doctors towards that uh, so until health systems emphasize that in their recruitment strategy itself right now obviously they can collaborate with universities to retrain and upskill but as they go ahead they need to hire doctors and nurses and all types of workforce through their diversity and inclusion keeping in that in in the view and that's the only way to resolve it the time is right for action not just discussion we're we're beyond discussion now. i couldn't agree more <laughs> so thank you so much jivan for coming on this podcast this was such a great conversation thank you so much for your time today many thanks and for our listeners feel free to reach out to us at avedya@excelligentmedia.com that's a v a i d y a at excelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts on this topic you can also use that email address to tell us any healthcare related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering also if you enjoyed today's conversation please do let us know You can rate us on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Excelligent Healthcare Media production. 